Hello, I'm Anna Bogutska. And I'm Clarice Lockery. And this is the Next Supremes, an American Horror Story Rewatch podcast. In the second part of this two-part Halloween episode, Tate comes face-to-face with his past. Ben and Vivian are tormented by Hayden, and their relationship reaches an impasse. Impasse? Impasse? Impasse. Both sound good. This is... I know they were aired a week apart, but now fully living in the era of streaming and binge-watching, I genuinely cannot imagine watching these two episodes a week apart. Because... A lot of the stories that storylines that got started off in last week's episode are continued in this one. True. I love the tension, though. I think if I was watching this live at the time, I would have just spent a whole week being like, but Hayden, (laughs) he's back. Oh, I would have been all over the Reddit pages, all over the AHS wiki. I probably would have been updating it myself, to be honest. Yes. So many memes. Were memes, wait, were memes that kind of meme around in 2011? Were people memeing TV shows? Not as much as we are now. So we kick off with Violet and Tate's first date. And it's honestly so... I just saw the note you wrote. (laughs) Sorry. We're both looking at the same Google Doc and I just saw... I'm sorry. (laughs) You can read it. It just, in all caps, says... Tate is a soft boy. (laughs) Well, this is the big reveal for me of this episode. So I had two thoughts. A, I think this was legit my dream date when I was a 15-year-old emo kid. Yes. So Tate picks up Violet from her house and he gives her a Um, rose. The basement of her house. I feel like we need to clarify. Because my note was, why do I keep meeting my boyfriend in a basement? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that is a red flag. If your boyfriend only wants to meet up in a basement, red flag. Yep. Yep. Sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no. uh, That is a perfect red flag and one that I would have probably ignored at that age. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I would have as well. (laughs) But... Tate gives her a rose that he painted black, which, you know, aw. But also, he tells her when he gives her the rose, I know how you don't like normal things. This is such a lie. <laughs> Honestly, swoon. An emo 15-year-old Anna would have swooned at that moment. Oh, yeah, I did not like normal things. I did not like normal things when I was 15. <laughs> Normal things, boo. <laughs> but they go to the beach, they go to an abandoned building. I mean, this is just all very Tate. And <laughs> Tate just goes off on this tangent of, oh, I just don't really fit in. And I hate high school. And high school is, is for shit. It doesn't mean anything. And also they're looking in the sea. And mm. I'm like, oh, my God, this actually now looking at it now. This is the biggest red flag of all of them because this is just pure soft boy behavior. Very soft boy. Um, should we clarify what a soft boy is? I don't know. It makes I don't I actually don't know what the official like definition is. 
the official definition of a soft boy is essentially a fuckboy who uses sort of the language of emotional intelligence and of being a human being capable of empathy and not fucking people over to lure women in but is actually just another fuckboy a softboy oh, i didn't know that oh my yeah. god i thought softboy was just like in his feelings it was just i thought it was a positive term like oh softboy i think un- under all of it is like the same type of manipulation of women to get them to sleep with them but it's just gentler oh Thanks. that's very accurate then i'm sorry <laughs> i laughed i'm sorry that i laughed that you put it he's very much a soft boy in this scene yes this is an all caps note by the way <laughs> so it's just nothing else in this google doc is in all caps except for tate as a soft boy and i just really like and appreciate that <laughs> it's actually a really cute date isn't it like they get along they're moody teenagers they do their you know quote-unquote weird shit and they make out yeah. a little bit well then can i point one thing out mm. he talks about high school in the past tense does he yes, not he does I'm gonna leave that out there red flag <laughs> so many red flags with tate because also i how we don't know how old he is we do not is he because evan peters himself never aged <laughs> he still hasn't this man could be 30 <laughs> Tate is still a big mystery for us, but this is a big Tate episode. Mm-hmm. And there's also something really weird that happens to them on this date. So they're sort of making out and things are getting a little bit heavy and Tate stops it. He has this weird line where he says to Violet, oh, I really want to be with you, meaning I really want to have sex with you. And then he says, I've never said that to a girl. Mm what when also he says i really want to have sex with you but i can't which is giving me big twilight vibes (laughs) yes (laughs) i will just say that isn't that exactly what robert patterson says in twilight he's like i really want to be with you but like i'm gonna destroy you babe with my big vampire (laughs) arms also red flag red flag that never ends well if your boyfriend implies he's an immortal vampire, red flag. Shall we continue with the state storyline? Because this is so much about his past, which we still know very little about. And whilst he's on his date with Violet, which we should add, is their first date. This is episode five. Yes. Well, yeah, because I guess you can't really have a date like in a basement. So, because that's the only place they've really been this entire time like we know they've kind of been dating in air quotes off screen but it seems to have never have left the confines of the basement where tate loves to hang out so much wow. <laughs> he is dark and unusual isn't he yes he's confronted by this group of teenagers they look like a zombie breakfast club <laughs> i wrote oh no it's the cast of riverdale <laughs> In my notes, so same difference. <laughs> same so, difference. So, what are who are the zombie teenagers? Well, we we don't really know at first. Like, yeah, as you said, it's sort of like a a random assemblage of different cliques. There's yeah, there's a cheerleader, there's a jock, there's kind of a nerd, there's some sort of rocker, gothy kid. Is that all of them? 
Yeah, there's like about five or six of them. Yeah. And... Yeah, and they talk about like killing him. Yeah. Basically. But you know, it's it's Halloween and stuff. People are dressed up. They're doing crazy shit. So are they just regular zombie high schoolers or seems to be hints of like something a little bit darker over there? Yeah, cuz I I mean like, let's be honest, like, we've seen the whole season, so we know where it's going. But I think <laughs> <laughs> for anyone watching for the first time, like, I'm sure, like, this is the point where you're starting to put the pieces together. And I think what's quite clever about this storyline is it does unfold very gradually. And um, I, like, I can't really remember my first experience watching it, how I felt about this storyline. But, um yeah, it's like it feels like different people are gonna be, you know, you know, getting it at different points. Be like, oh, it feels like one of those like, oh, storylines. Yeah. But I think there's a lot in this scene that is very telling. Go on. <laughs> trying to be so serious. Well, no, I don't want to be <laughs> because like we know what we know what happens. So like, and they like fucking hate Tate. They're out to get him, and yeah actually really i'd forgotten how slow his storyline plays out so i love this episode because we just unravel little bits of him mm-hmm. as the show goes along he as well we should probably mention seems genuinely quite confused and distressed by their presence hmm. i think this is the most emotionally vulnerable we've seen take this entire season like, something has really upset him about this situation. Later on in the episode, they chase him and confront him. And they're all just saying all of this, like, hyper-aggressive shit at him. Why does he get a girlfriend? I don't have a girlfriend. One of the girls at one point says, I should be 34 years old right now. So... They're constantly sort of pushing him to acknowledge something, but he really genuinely seems to not remember it, not remember what it is that they want from him or who they are or why they hate him so much. Yeah, he's just kind of like, I mean, you know, Ben's the usual crier, but this is the (laughs) Tate crying episode. Like he is very, yeah, just really distressed the entire way through this. And it's kind of interesting that, they they come to the house to confront him and Violet is there and they also start confronting Violet mm. and they start saying really nasty things to her. Of it. Oh, you're just like disgusting. You're like, what do they say about you? are one of the people who writes love letters, serial killers. Yeah. Tate's reaction to this is to just sprint away, just run away from the situation. Mm. And he just takes off and all these teenagers just start chasing him. And it's such a weird sequence. Of him just like bricking it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it reminds me of seen in um, Grand Budapest Hotel <laughs> where they all confront Ray, Ray Fiennes about whether he murdered Tilda Swinton and he just looks at them for two seconds and then runs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is exactly the same like logic behind dealing with this situation. Like, let me just literally run away from my problems. I know. Also, I, I, I'm kind of laughing right now because in, in the Google Doc, I just I'm seeing my notes and I just put you can't run away from ghosts. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is. It's true. One of the really big reveals about Tate's backstory that we do get, though, is that he is actually Constance's son. Wah, wah, wah. 
she's having a, a heart to heart with Violet and this is after Addie's death and it's sort of I mean it is a big deal but is it a big deal she kind of yeah she kind of just mentions it like oh yeah that's my that's my son yeah you're dating my son by the way so here's a picture of him <laughs> with Addie yeah I feel like it's just kind of dropped information and I don't know I, I guess does it affect Violet in any way it's weird that they never discussed his parents before, even though they were hanging out quite a lot. And it's weird that, like, Constance mentions in the first episode, I think, that all of her children, kind of, except one, had some sort of issues. But we only ever meet Addie. And now Tate. Uh, is being a soft boy an issue? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It can't be him, then. <laughs> From one soft boy to another handsome flop, uh, we move soft on to... Man. <laughs> soft, soft man. Soft man. Is that a thing? <laughs> we move on to Ben, who... You know, and this this is, again, this is an impasse for Vivian and Ben, because she is done, and she is kicking him out, because Hayden shows up, and Larry's all up in his face... And she confronts him about all of his lies. What do you think kind of about this particular development of their relationship now? And especially Dylan McDermott, who is doing a lot of work here. Their relationship is really interesting in this episode because so much else is going on that we almost don't really get to spend much time with that I mean this is the complete breakdown of their relationship like this is it like Vivian swore you know if you ever lied to me again it's over you you're gonna have to leave this house we're done that is exactly what has happened and she's stuck to her guns and Ben has reacted in a very Ben way and just been like I'm not leaving no no um and yeah, I think we don't, I don't know, I feel like we don't really spend that much time with all that little brew of emotions. It happens very fast. What we see first is actually Vivian confronting Hayden. So we know already that Vivian has left Hayden a, a voice message from, you know, when people used to leave each other voicemails. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and she calls her back. And they have this whole conversation on the phone while Vivian is preparing a bath for herself, which I know I hate on her quite a bit. But again, just the pure indulgence of, you know, this hashtag self-care bath that she's preparing for herself. She's lighting the candles. She's got a, the big, the like nice looking lingerie on. She's doing all of the things and also having a conversation with her husband's mistress. Yes. Who is a ghost on a phone. <laughs> but I like the implication that when you die, you keep your iPhone stays with you. <laughs> you take your iPhone to the other side. So you can still check Twitter in the underworld. Because that's the thing. Why does she still have her iPhone? She's she's dead. Or does she just now live in Vivian's phone? Oh. Is that how she communicates? Because ghosts can just... Yeah, I guess because ghosts can do whatever they want. Yeah. I imagine her like picking... <laughs> Oh, it's freaking. Don't know why I still have this. 
but hey. But I love the moment where Vivian tries to reason with Hayden and she's like, I was you once. I was not a saint. I fell in love with a married man too. It's also, wait, because Vivian draws herself a bath and then Hayden gets in it, right? Yes. But Which before, is a power move. <laughs> it is a power move. But before that, she also leaves her a little note on the steamed up mirror, which is a trope of horror films that I absolutely adore. It's quite scary because sometimes, because there is that thing that if you, like, if you're living in a multi-person house, you go take a shower, you write a message on the steam from your shower, then the second person taking a shower, they often get that message, right? Because it kind of sticks around. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's scary because it's it's real. <laughs> People are leaving messages for you and you're not anymore because I live alone, but <laughs> I just, yeah. It's terrifying, but also mostly terrifying because like Vivian is the only person in the bath at that time. She like hangs up the phone to Hayden. She turns around and there's a message on her steamed up mirror immediately. Like it happened within seconds of her mm -hmm. hanging up the phone. That's that's a final destination move that I appreciated. Like that's where the horror in American Horror Story comes in. Yeah, it's pretty classic. And the way that it's like one of those really classic like camera pans. Just like Yeah, there's a lot of Ben and Vivian arguing and I have to say for me it kind of went a little bit in the in the direction of camp when Vivian is just yelling at him like tell me about boston i need to know about boston i'm having trouble honestly piecing apart what happens in this episode because everyone just yells the whole way through it's just like <laughs> a blob of yelling to me and i'm trying to think now like who was yelling at who because you have hayden is yelling at vivian and then vivian is yelling at ben and then i just feel like it's all yelling and it's all at one level no one is ever. No one ever uses their inside voice in this episode. Yeah, and then Hayden. I just Hayden gets in the bath, and I find that really that's a power move. How do you feel about Hayden's turn into full-on fatal attraction mode? I actually kind of struggle with the writing of this character because I know we were talking before about this pregnancy, and mm. we really don't get a sense of how she actually feels about. The pregnancy and the abortion and not getting abortion. Did she ever want to get an abortion? Was she ever pregnant? Like, it's never really made clear her perspective outside of being spiteful towards the Harmons. And so she does go on this whole thing um, during their argument about I wanted to have. She she's angry that Vivian's having a child because she wanted to have a child. Mm. But then it feel and she's saying, but you know, Ben pressured me to get he wanted he made me think that I wanted this abortion. Hmm. And I'll be honest, I don't know, did we see that? I I kind of struggle with the arc because I don't know if we ever saw any hesitation, not just in the dialogue, but in the acting and her eyes and her her mannerisms. It kind of seemed really in the previous episodes, like, she just, she didn't want the baby as well. So I just, I feel very confused about her character. I don't know about you. I would agree with you because 
I liked Hayden the first time that she appeared because she seemed to be really going back and forth between being a deranged kind of fatal attraction style mistress to being a more put together uh composed woman who just is in love with the with a married man despite herself but this just since she died and has come back as this sort of ghost zombie she's just kind of gone up to 11 and she's just saying things and it doesn't none of it really makes sense she's just kind of being just yelling stuff and being aggressive and sort of clutching onto stuff and seems totally intent on hurting Vivian which is you know this current trope there's any sort of love triangle and between a married couple and there's like an, a third party that it's the third party always goes after their love interest partner yeah which is like it's not their problem it really isn't like your problem is with the person you're having the affair with again i just think it's slightly trite writing to have the the young mistress kind of come after the wife yeah and then they try to explain it with the idea of that she's she's angry because of the pregnancy but then it's like well if we never that's the thing we never get to see inside her head so it's like i have no idea if there's any truth to that or if she's just like i'm a ghost now i'm gonna yeah. say whatever i feel like and because she's incredibly erratic in this episode mm. and like we first see her and she's just like horny <laughs> she's just incredibly horny for ben and there is this idea throughout this season that once you die you become like immensely horny just all the time is there i feel like i feel like the ghosts in this are very horny wait who else is horny i feel like i don't know like chad and and patrick were like a lot of sexual frustration but i guess they were before they died as well yeah okay i take it back i'm sorry she's just she is very horny though i am into this theory i'm just thinking of them well wait wait um moira but not yeah not real moira like fantasy moira that's the thing. I don't know. While I was watching that scene, I my brain just thought, why are the ghosts so horny? What's going on? <laughs> so I don't know where that thought came from, but it, it did occur. I wonder, why are all the ghosts so horny for Ben? Because he's soft man. <laughs> he's well, soft man. Ben gets his, his peak soft man uh, moment where he's kicked out of the house. And in the last scene of this, he's just sort of wandering around looking at the life that he fucked up all by himself and leaves the murder house oh can i say add one more thing i feel like it needs to be mentioned yeah the dog (laughs) (laughs) very distressing what What was the dog doing well okay because you see the dog in like the first episode yeah you do and you're like that's a dog very cute very rat like we discussed this (laughs) yeah we haven't seen the dog since. <laughs> a lot has happened. And there's been a lot of like loud noises in this house. And this dog has been dead silent. <laughs> MIA. Are you saying is the dog a ghost? So this dog suddenly is, is in the city. He's in the, she's in the action now. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's yapping. The... Meow, 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 meow. Finally. My presence has been made. <laughs> yeah, the presence has been made clear. And 
the dog goes missing at some point during the episode. I don't know why I'm drawing this out so much. (laughs) The dog goes missing at some point in the episode and Vivian's like, oh my God, where's my dog? She goes down to the kitchen. The microwave beeps. Something red explodes inside. Oh my God, has the dog been murdered? Horrified, horrified, horrified. But then the dog reappears later in the episode and Hayden says that she just put tomatoes in there and it was a joke. But that's what I thought. Is the dog actually dead and the dog is now a ghost? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Because I feel like there's a big difference between putting a dog in a microwave and putting a tomato in a microwave. And I feel like uh, someone would be able to tell the difference. Which makes me think she might have been lying. And the dog, she did actually put the dog in the microwave. Which is horrific. That is horrifying. Like, that's the moment I just lose all all sympathy for Hayden. That had yeah. not even occurred to me. That's amazing. I think maybe the dog is dead and a ghost a ghost dog now. Oh my god. I do also love the... Again, this is a very melodramatic episode. It's, it's not as sad as part one of Halloween. But mm. Chad completely loses his plot in this one. He is redecorating the house for Vivian and Ben to be able to sell it to make it more appealing to potential buyers. But he is also trying to make his perfect Halloween happen, which he couldn't do in his lifetime. And he gets extremely extra, throws shit around and and Patrick tries to hit on Ben and is rebuffed and is very sad. It's just a lot but also I love the confrontation and the weirdness between Chad and Vivian yeah just the again like the thing with the levels (laughs) (laughs) he's peak angry this entire episode and I feel like he's taking all of his I don't know like it's pretty you'd be pretty angry if you you died probably (laughs) so i think he's taking all of that emotion and put it and placing it on vivian i guess because she is alive she she has what he doesn't have which is you know life and the freedom to actually leave this this house if she wanted to and to to, i guess be able to change things because that's the thing as well he's because he wants the house to be perfect and he wants to like reach some idea of perfection with the house but he knows that because he's dead he can't really affect the world anymore hmm. so I, don't, I have a, I have a lot of sympathy for for Chad yeah. I feel like I know where he's coming from <laughs> Real, as someone who's like very high anxiety loves Halloween <laughs> those two things combined like I get it it's also extremely sad when we see as the sun is coming up and Halloween day is coming to an end, we see this parade of the previous occupants of the murder house kind of sadly walking back into the house. Now we see the nurses from episode two, Home Invasion. We see the little boys from the pilot. We see Moira. We see Chad and Patrick. And it's such a sad scene because they're like forced to go back to this place that they hate and they can never leave yeah i'd love to know where the nurses went maybe they went to disneyland (laughs) (laughs) yeah and we see Nora as well kind of come back where was she what was she doing 
Oh, she was probably like some one of those themed speakeasy bars. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Roaring Twenties again. <laughs> it's interesting to think, yeah, that these ghosts kind of have their own lives outside of the the narrative of the episode. And, and we really do get a sense that it's this very classic idea that ghosts exist because they have some sort of unresolved trauma. Hmm. And and so you can these people keep being drawn back to this place, you know, this place of their death, this place that ruined them, this place that is the, I don't know, yeah, it's just like the fun of all of their unhappiness, and they can never escape it, and that is kind of a, I don't know, as a metaphor for our lives in general, it's just quite upsetting <laughs> to think about. <laughs> like we're all, we are we as everybody are always drawn back to our personal murder houses. Oh my god. Oh, that's that's a very sad but also very beautiful thought. Should we do top quotes? Yeah. <laughs> that made us feel really bad inside. It <laughs> sounds like the perfect moment. What was your top quote of the episode? I don't know why this is my top quote, but one thing I noticed in this episode is that people keep just having the impulse to murder very suddenly he just described the whole of hs i know okay okay let me be more specific okay so at one point when violet goes to confront the zombie cast of riverdale on her porch she just grabs a pair of scissors which i find really odd (laughs) because i don't just what it's like there's six of them and you've got scissors but then that also calls back to an earlier moment in the episode where somebody else is on the front porch is it larry and and ben goes to grab a knife yes and then the line that i love is vivian looks at at him and says so your plan is to kill them and the way that she delivers them is like you fucking idiot I just, I love, I'm obsessed with the way she delivers that line because in these two episodes, like, she's very distressed, but there are these, like, quiet moments Mm. where just she'll look at him or she'll say something in a certain way that are so scathing. Like, she sees through him. And I love that. She's so passive aggressive. I love it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know I don't like the character, but I love Connie Britton. As this yes. character, she's so <laughs> brilliant. What is your quote? <laughs> I have so many. I'm trying to pick one. It might be, I know how you don't like normal things, which I mentioned before, which is very emo. And it appeals to the emo 15 year old that I probably still am. Can I pick two? Yes. Okay. So there's a really sad one that Chad says when all the sad ghosts are walking back into the murder house. And he says... I feel like I'm doomed for all of eternity to be trapped in an unhappy, adulterous relationship working on this house, which will never be just the way I want it. And I'm like, thank you for explaining everything. But also the delivery that Zachary Quinto does in that moment actually shows just how tragic the reality is for these ghosts. Like all the horror aside, all the campiness aside, it is just a really, really sad reality, a really sad eternity for all of them on the campier side again I think one of my favorite lines is from Vivian where she's being attacked by Chad 
and I think it's Chad and she they're sort of grabbing each other it's all very violent it's all very high drama and she tells him in just a stone cold delivery you're a psychopath I'm calling my security company (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) that is great she's not gonna defend herself she's just like oh I'm calling the hot security guy that's what I'm gonna do I think he's sort of grabbing her and his hand drops and they just have this stare off. Again, kind of the most bougie confrontation I could imagine. And it seems so right for both of those characters. She's being kind of, I guess, a Karen in that moment, would you say? It's very (laughs) like, let me speak to the man. I'm calling my security company. Oh, she is such a Karen from moment one. Sorry, I have one other quote, actually. Go for it. It's just when Tate is talking about dropping out of high school and he goes Kurt Cobain, Quentin Tarantino (laughs) Brando, De Niro, Pacino all high school dropouts and I just immediately thought of that Billy Eichner thing where he goes for one dollar, name a woman (laughs) Yeah, sorry, sorry (laughs) I was was just like, I need to bring that up I know, I had that one too and I was like oh, is this it? I don't know, there's so many there's a lot, however there are also no naked men in this episode. But it's a way for Halloween. <laughs> I hope this becomes a recurring thing over the seasons, that there's just never butts on Halloween. <laughs> well, let's find out. And is there an insensitive historical reference this week? I don't think so. I yeah. didn't really pick up on anything. Yeah, neither did I. And who would you say is the MVP of Halloween Part 2? God, I feel like nobody. <laughs> Everyone's just screaming in this episode. No one is having a good time. Maybe the teens. Because they've got each other at least. I'm going to say Vivian is the MVP of the episode. Because she kicks out Ben. Good for her. Yeah. She ends up on top. I, that's true. I feel like she has kind of like a bad time during the episode. And she's very like... She kind of gains and loses control of the situation just like on a loop but then i feel like by the end or morris chestnut <laughs> just because he had one job and he did it and he, he did it well yes and also because he lectures ghost hayden about not getting involved with married men yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then drives out turns around oh she's gone yeah but that's the thing that is maybe him not doing his job so well that he didn't notice a woman disappear from his backseat <laughs> at any point. Like, that's the thing. He didn't, he wasn't still driving when that happened. He got to his destination. Doesn't he? He gets out of the car, opens the passenger door, and is like, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so he's probably driving for 20 minutes just talking, thinking that Hayden is there lecturing her, but she's long gone. <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, considering how horny Vivian is for him, I think she's got a type. And that type is handsome men who are really bad at their jobs. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That is a type. Mm-hmm. So we got an extra quotes, even though there was no insensitive historical references and no buts. No buts. But we plenty of other things. So what can we expect of the next episode? The next episode, I also think is a great one. In the next episode, Constance enlists Violet's assistance with Tate. Ben helps a new patient confront his fears. We'll be back next Wednesday dissecting another episode of American Horror Story Murder House. In the meantime, send us your thoughts on Twitter. I'm on at Clarice Liu. And I am on Anna B. Demented. And tell us if you th- also think that Tate is a soft boy. 
and whether butts should be away for Halloween. <laughs> 